This is the Beige and the Bold, Road to Deep Space Nine, and today I am watching Imaginary Friend. I am Ben Velding, and I am taking this one solo because Derek decided to skip it. And three, two, one, engage. The deal is, is that, you know, Derek is choosing to skip about half the episodes from here to DS9. Ideally, we'd watch TNG and DS9 alternate a little bit. And, you know, get get through everything. But I thought, I don't want to skip all of these episodes. And then I saw that my first episode was going to be Imaginary Friend. And I thought, I can skip some of these episodes. Oh, man. Imaginary Friend isn't bad. It's a, it's a kid episode, so we are inclined to see it as pretty bad. And it's got an interesting premise. It's got... A, the idea is, okay, the idea is, if you haven't seen it, a little girl in the Enterprise, she's she's getting counseled by Troy right now. Her imaginary friend becomes real. It's like, well, okay, what, what happens with that? I want to say, was Kelly Sue got married? Was that, was that like a movie that happened? Was Johnny Depp in that? I'm half remembering a VHS from 40 years ago. Uh, so anyway, Troy's doing counseling stuff, and this girl is... Um, <laughs> counseling with Troy and Troy's there I guess doing a tea party with her and also they have an appointment that Troy doesn't know about but do dramatic stuff and anyway they're, they're new to the Enterprise and the girl isn't adapting well and she's like 8 or 9 so she has an imaginary friend called Isabella that she uses to help with the fact that she doesn't have new friends and she's in a new place and her dad's bad at scheduling, so her dad's an incident. He's got a kid, but you know, whatever. Maybe he just joined. And uh, the thing is that we talk about, we talk a lot about imaginary friends as they exist uh, for most people, which is just like uh, something that happens in your childhood and then you move on from it. Troy recaps this guy's service history briefly so we understand and it's a lot of people like talking about things that already happened. And I think Guinan's got the best part in here. Whoopi Gold, I'll, I'll talk about it when we get to her. And Drew is just setting up, trying to understand. Like, I guess, uh, I believe this is every nebula in Star Trek, but, you know, color shifted red and flipped around. Um, So it feels like this episode is really trying to get us to say, oh, she's got an imaginary friend. Remember imaginary friends? There are good reasons for kid to have, kids to have imaginary friends. They aren't just, you know, spontaneously imagining things. Like, there are psychological reasons. Or even if they do spontaneously imagine things, uh, uh, it's fine in this case. It's not just random or whatever. She has a real problem, and that's why she has... That's why we accept that she has an imaginary friend. It feels like there's a lot of work that goes into scaffolding. Letting Clara have an imaginary friend. Anyway. Data and Jordy scanning neutrons. Anyway. And we're, we're going about the day-to-day -day business while we have... I think this is the second time an energy form has just flown around the ship at random. Giving an opportunity for all of our cast members to get their lines in for the episode. <laughs> Ironic that this is a fairly, relatively Troy-heavy episode, and she's not uh, 
one of the characters trying to get one line into the episode just for contractual obligations it's time it's good i think this is the first time we see the relationship between dr crusher and nurse ogawa and it's really great like she's she's doing nice boss things boss and friend things and i think uh yeah i think rises a bit much for a first vacation i mean you know if nurse ogawa is a little locked down that's fine and Dr. Crusher's like, hey, here's another thing you can do in the future that's not Ryza. Then she looks directly into the camera. Here is another thing in the future you can do that's not friggin' Ryza. People have other interests. You people don't have to take your relationship straight to the crotch. So here we are in the Arboretum. That's something apparently Clara likes, and that's fine. Like, again, this entire ship could be like a Montessori school for kids. Again, there's no reason to have like one, maybe even two parents per kid, or maybe even like two half parents. Like there's so many people that would love to share what they do with kids that aren't just like 10 to one classroom environments with professional teachers. Um, regardless, the shining thing, the Isabella here as it's moving through the ship looks okay. It's not just some, glowing thing it's got little facets in it i like how it's ex oh it just deleted the hell out of that plant didn't it or it did it become the plant i wasn't paying a lot of attention it's weird that she can go through the girl's brain and read her brain and create her version of isabella i know a lot of artists taking commissions i would love that oh we don't have to describe things anymore we're just gonna go to your brain Let's face it, Isabella would never look like whatever it is Clara expected her to look like. That's our hook, though. Isabella appears, and we're all shocked, and we all go to commercial. Well, credit sequence, anyway. Uh, so that's going to be the wobbly legs upon which the rest of this episode is going to rest. And it's, uh, it's a big ask. I, I, let's talk about the big ideas in the episode. Um, um, being kids rough sometimes. And rules exist for a reason, yo. Eat your vegetables. And that's our, that's our, that's our big ideas. I mean, you know, Picard, uh, God, uh, the, there's so little that happens in this episode. This episode is by weight 60%. Oh, this girl is acting up. <laughs> um, it's 10% mystery and then it is 30%. Picard once again swooping in and grabbing what should be like an emotional uh, climax speech from Deanna Troy so he can give it. And then Guinan's on the other hand just eating up the rest of Troy's long. And ostensibly a Troy episode. I don't know who, who else in the main cast this episode gets linked to. Um, which is interesting. Like we get a little bit of day of the life stuff. I think it's one reason people do like TNG is because of the day in the life stuff. Um, I think, I think that also contributes to the familial atmosphere of this show where, you know, if you're a kid and you have a hard um, upbringing, which a lot of kids that watch the show did, you look at this and you're like, Hey, look, there's a place for kids here. And 
you know, my view is always there should be a place for kids in Star Trek. Um, you can tell adult mature stories alongside these stories, you know, where kids live because the world is full of kids um, and kids like these stories. And just from a sheer cynical, keep the franchise alive perspective. Yeah. You want kids to look at stories and see themselves in them. Um, literally as in, you know, even kids as a kid, I, I kind of like ugh, kid stories, but um, it still implicitly accepts that they're there. I mean, even Alexander stories like, yeah, kids exist in this thing. They're a part of these people's lives. That's the entire point of the enterprise being a cruise liner in space. It is. Um, families can live on it. People who work here live with their families. That's an interesting way to do it. I mean, the entire premise of being on a starship is, oh, look, we're out. We're away from society. But then they are their own little society. They, you know, you have all the drama that you might have from, say, a police show or, uh, you know, any sort of first responder type show that's really popular. And you say, well, here's family. Here's people's families that are around them and they're in this. And the first thing you would expect to get lost when you're doing this is to say, hey, your families aren't here anymore. It's a bunch of swinging bachelors in space, which I accuse this series of like a lot. But whenever you have a kid episode, you're like, oh, wait, it's not. What I wish they would do, what I really wish they would do, is to uh, kind of build on the culture of the Enterprise and say, hey, look, there are a thousand people here, families and stuff. And what they need to do is... <laughs> That's Jordy's, you're not going to get yelled at this right now, face. As, uh, like, the, the Enterprise is losing speed. They don't really know why. And Isabella gets Clara to come down to engineering. And so they just think, oh, she's acting out and trying to be around her dad while he's working. Um, and so they don't realize that there's something more malevolent at play. And I don't know why Isabella seems to get a perfect understanding of Clara and a lot of human interactions from going through Clara's brain. So I don't know why she doesn't go through someone else's brain while they're not looking. Um... I mean, drama, I guess. Regardless. Uh, <laughs> this, this girl's kind of knocking out of the park with the really flat effect. Uh, Isabella going in for the Toy Story rules. Um, she can't appear when adults are around because of reasons. I guess because she is a malevolent intruder in the ship. Instead of being a glowing ball now, she's completely invisible, which, yeah, okay. All right, sure, whatever. I'm not going to, like... She could turn into a glowing ball and hide in a bulkhead. I mean, I understand. It's, it's the same difference. So the, the notion of Picard, <laughs> uh, not Picard, of the ship kind of being its own infrastructure, its own culture is really interesting. And I would love to see, you know, the, the identity of the crew of the Enterprise instead of being Picard's chosen people, if they are just... Um, this own cultural group with their own cultural leaders and trendsetters and habits and idiosyncrasies and they run into other ships and like oh that's so interesting how you guys do it you know our bulkheads are light beige you have the dark beige bulkheads but so yeah they don't know why uh they lost speed suddenly but they are going to look into it which is a big character development from season one and that is uh you know in season one season two 
if a phenomenon happened and then it stopped, these guys would just shrug and keep on rolling. So I'm glad that that they're looking into it. Not realizing that apparently all of the plasma is sentient. I, I, I'm just really baffled by the aliens in this episode. So Claire's a ball and she floats around. She can read human minds or whatever. And she can also appear as a human because sure, why not? But then there are strands of plasma and they are also sentient. They can also slow the ship down and they also look at, uh, <laughs> sorry. And they also feed, feed them warp power or whatever. So interesting to have. Like the way this kid just accepts this thing. It's great. It's got a, oh, Ray Bradbury, zero hour type of feel where the imaginary friend is an alien who's actually a harbinger of doom. Uh, I don't think this is like a ripoff or anything. I'm just saying it's it's got a big feel of that and zero hour is clearly better. Um, and so we're, uh, Isabel is kind of doing like the data redux deal where, uh, she's like, well, what's, what's up with your human stuff? And Claire's like, look, I need friends. And Isabella's like, yes, we are best friends. And Isabella has a little bit of fun. And she has like a little bit of an effect from the uh, the fun of it. <laughs> and of course, they, they start running in the corridor, which they're not supposed to do. And Wolf was like, this corridor isn't for children. Like, damn, son, where's the signs for that? This looks like every other corridor on the ship because this is literally every other corridor on this ship. There should be like some stripes or something. Or the computer going, dude, dude, there's kids in this corridor aren't supposed to be here. <laughs> yeah, Isabella is not like Worf. Uh, Worf has his own kid, yay. Which I think comes up later. Um, what's interesting is how Isabella seems to not like being told what to do. I like the Odo boots, the futuristic boots of the future with no laces or anything. And they don't give you any support. <laughs> They're just the worst boots. Uh, anyway. Uh, so the deal is that Isabella is, is going to learn to enjoy being a kid. And, um, you know, Claire's going to learn. Well, Claire's going to learn nothing. So we get a little Jordy history. So Jordy's going to talk about his history is like both of his parents were in Starfleet. I think he mentioned that he grew up in Starbases before. He mentioned a story earlier about being in a house fire, which yeah, could happen, you know. Uh, so it's a good, uh, it's a good lesson. And, and Jordy's like, man, you know, I grew up just like Clara did and it was fun. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was a little under-socialized. I suppose I do tend to stalk women, and I do get pretty creepy. And I'm bad at relationships. Oh, my God, did growing up a Starfleet kid mess me up? But uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, because of all the adversity your child's facing now, they're going to be super adaptable and never date when they're an adult. That's perfectly well-adjusted. Also, my best friend's a robot. Now that I think about it, I I should probably schedule. Counselor Troy, are you available? Yeah, all right, we're going <laughs> to... Anyway, childhood might have been bad and then also bad. And she's like, nah, you got to get a waiver for that. I got too many people. I can't, I can't take up childhood cases anymore, man. My plate is full. 
He used to date Will Riker, you know. He's like, oh, yeah, Will Riker. All right, I'll, I'll get that waiver counselor. So we end up with this episode's nearly insubstantial theme. One might even say imaginary theme of imagination. Isn't it great? So Data and Guinan are here in Ten Ford looking at the nebula, imagining shapes. And Data imagines that Data sees shapes in it. He has, you know... Google algorithm where he can pull all the, the eyes out of the big eldritch horror. Uh, it's another case where they treat 10 forward like some sort of seedy bar instead of an officer's lounge. Um, but like they let kids in, so like the doors could do that if not happen. Hey, and now we're talking about Isabella, who's an imaginary friend. Uh, I gotta say, usually we let our A and B plots kind of work in harmony maybe complement each other or come together at the end. Guinan going directly from a conversation about imagination to a literal conversation with a child about her imaginary friend doesn't quite have enough uh, lubricant between the moving parts, if you know what I'm saying. It's it's just like chunk chunk right into the next thing. It's not it's not subtle. Now it doesn't have to be subtle. Wait, doesn't it have to be subtle? I just feel like in an episode that's not about imagination, like I feel like she could have talked to Isabella and then Isabella could come up and then she'd be like, oh, imagination data. Or data could be like, you know what happened? This little this little girl rolled up into engineering in the middle of a crisis where we're going slightly slower than we usually do. <laughs> and she said she had an imaginary friend. Do, do humans usually have imaginary friends? And Guy's like, hey, look at, the, look at this nebula. Let's talk about imagination in the aspect. You know, like there's some genesis for it that it comes from somewhere but i just feel like somebody went full hibachi with the script and this just so happened to be where this conversation landed so it comes out of nowhere even though it may have come from somewhere else and guys like hey look i'm gonna i'm a human who uses my imagination isn't that uh aren't i so idiosyncratic oh i'm a weirdo i'm a but a good one like good and i'm i just do what i want i got a childlike wonder about me i'm magic so, that said, I do appreciate the conversation where Guy is like, hey, look, as an adult, you don't need to just say that imaginary things don't exist. You don't need to establish this, this boundary of reality over things that are not important. Like, who cares? I have an imaginary friend. Like, imaginary is in the name. Um, you know, I think we all talk to ourselves. We talk to different versions of ourselves. We talk to people that we know and you know are those people any less imaginary than Guinan's Tarkalian razor beast I mean no obviously what we do is we anthropomorphize them into ways that are socially acceptable like even our brains and the things that we imagine are wired to be socially acceptable which is interesting um and I presume that we keep most of our socially unacceptable stuff not to project just speaking from the experience of the things that you learn about what's going on in other people's heads, uh, to the weird sex stuff, which is, you know, the, the small part of ourselves inside that makes us happy that we preserve from the necessity of social conformity. Uh, apparently, as, as a model for your submission, uh, he said, realizing that perhaps in the abstract, you guys walked all the way talking around 10 forward? Anyway, um, so like, 
as adults, we generally even imagine things that we think are, are realistic or fun uh, or sexy. And we talk about, um, you know, Avengers and things being childish and being like, oh, it's a fantasy. I hate. Um, oh, yeah, it's great. So when, when Troy t- tries to talk to Isabella, who's imaginary, Clara gets to correct her. And it's an interesting, when a parent plays along with the imaginary friend, it's an interesting inversion of power dynamics, which I'm sure is important for a kid. If they can have something that they have complete control over that they can make adults acknowledge and respond to, that's good. I'm not saying it's, I'm saying that there is a reasonable cause for it and that it makes kids feel better, not necessarily that it's good or bad. Sorry, data, uh, Derek's out of here, so I'm going to hedge for the both of us. Um... So it's interesting. And so again, like our our story here is still part of that 60% that is just uh, maladaptive coping mechanisms. Kid has an imaginary friend. It's too serious. That's what do I do now. And it's like really not compelling stuff. Like it's good. Like what Troy is doing is, is just regular Troy stuff. And Troy's being useful. And Troy's doing her job. And she's modeling a certain type of empathy and a desire to help this kid um, be happier and be um, more socially like available and have more efficacy and to just have friends and to exist in the society. And like, that's all great stuff. Like, that's all great stuff. And I don't want to just poo-poo it because our science story feels tacked on and because like we're not invested in Isabella's like long-term mental health. Um, it feels like the boring day-to-day stuff that we're willing to have packed around the edges of Star Trek. But once you put it in the center, you're kind of just watching an episode of TV with a bunch of beige walls and buttons on the screen. So buttons on panels and panels that are on the screen. Anyway, uh, so Isabella's apparently been in human form for like 12 hours and she's already learned how, learning how to emotionally manipulate people which is pretty quick and it kind of makes you look at data and go data data god can you be this emotionally manipulative if you wanted to and data's like you met Laura, right like you met him uh, whatever isabel's like you don't play with me at all maybe you just hate me and then clara being a f-ing child um was like hey oh I'll do that. I guess I like you. It's like, Claire, you should maybe tell people when your imaginary friends being emotionally abusive. So. Hmm. Anyway. So. More Mantra Story school stuff. Although I don't, I don't know. Like I watched this episode when it originally aired. I watched it like last night. And I still don't know what Isabella wants with engineering because she seems to be able to go anywhere and she seems to be able to assimilate information pretty easily. And I just don't know. Like, she's angry now, right? Yeah, her eyes glow red. Girl angry. But why is she angry? Was she, like, really friends with Isabella? Like, we kind of get that impression. Where we go from like, oh, she's just doing an op to, oh, she's really friends with Clara. Well, then how is she manipulating Clara into going to engineering? Again, whose benefits I'm a little unclear about. Um, 
Data hits a speed bump. Way to go, Data. God, you just bought these shocks, Data. Take it easy. So some more mysterious stuff. And I think now we're going to get our ticking clock real uh, stakes, etc., etc., etc. Where suddenly the bad thing happened. Oh, man, we are like halfway through. Jeez, the bad thing ain't going to happen for a minute. Damn. Sorry. <sighs> Sorry. This episode has more freaking resistance to the plot moving forward than the Enterprise does right now. Ugh. Yeah. So we're slowly learning all of this stuff, but I feel like we don't learn anything. Like, information is being revealed, but I don't see us learning more about the big picture. It's like, yeah, when we hit frequency nebula with frequency, we get like a string. Well, like, is it a smart string or what is it? It's part of a network of nebula, which again, it's part of a network of nebula that can break off, float through a ship, read a girl's mind, and then act like an emotionally manipulative human girl. So like, that's a hell of a nebula gas. Hell of a plasma. Sorry, it's hell of a plasma. I think I keep saying nebula when I mean plasma. Um, I was like, what's, what's that guy? What are you doing? Whatever. Hey, it's Alexander. Yeah. All right. Everyone's paired off. You're going to sit with Alexander, who never pairs off. Alexander, I'm kind of like your mom. And uh, Clara, Alexander, Alexander, Clara. And... Oof, Alexander, son of Moog, is not Alexander, son of good at making cups. That's for sure. Yeah, big mood, Alexander. You think the pattern here is obvious. And this freaking chick walks up and is like, blurg. I'm going to just put it anywhere. There's a system, honey. There's a system. It's a great future smock. You got to get him water. You got to get... Look, when I was a kid... They didn't just give us clay and let other kids tell us what to do. They they trained us. We had to go through. There was water. Anyway. She's going to do a thing with Alexander. Alexander of the... I mean, look. One thing I would like to see from a later episode is that mug, okay? Fully glazed. Sitting on the back of that thing right behind Picard. And because I like, oh, Mr. Wolf, it keeps falling off. He's like, it's, I'll, you're right, sir. You're right. And then he gets like a big plastic strap with a cup holder at the end. He just slaps it over the bar with a little cup holder on the edge. And he puts the the incredibly large clay goblet in it. And it just hangs off. Like, it, it can't hold any water. But it's like, that. It's, it's just up there in every episode now. He's like, nah. Nah, it's for my son. He's like, look, this wasn't so bad. Uh, I, have, I have limits on what you can bring from your kid at your workstation, Mr. Wolf. This is why I wouldn't let Data put all those pictures of Lol Drew on the view screen. It really cluttered things up. <laughs> and Data like, you said you lost those, sir. Oh, damn, damn it. All right. What are we doing? Is our, is our episode moving forward? Oh, God, no, this is the glass. Ah, oh, jeez. Isabella, that's hot chocolate, yo. It's hot chocolate. 
every so often in these episodes we see um yeah how do you do you guys not have paper towels every so often in these episodes we'll have like something innocuous happen and they'll report it to the right person <laughs> and then they'll be like oh no it's actually we had a thousand people whose cups were knocked over last night wow we've got to start the investigation immediately um <laughs> it would be funny if that happened here which was like uh professor the uh, lieutenant Smeagelsbog of tables i fucking my cup fell off the table and he's like yeah we didn't have anybody else to do this She's like are you sure there's not a rash of people coming into the quartermaster's office with cups falling over on tables like you can stay here man but i don't think anyone else is going to come in i think it's you so but it's isabella being possessive and stuff there you go they got the water there's water there the whole time seems to be in It's like, oh no. So then Isabella knocks over the tray to not clay onto Alexander's cup, which, you know, narrow missed by Worf, let's be honest. Alexander's like, oh man, what do you, tell me some invisible girl did this? Dude, unacceptable. And Alexander's like, I mean, why'd you do this? There's no such thing as invisible people. Like, Alexander, I'm going to need to reference you to Star Trek episodes 12, 14, and 77. But, uh, and then Isabella throws Clay at Alexander, and we're like, what's your game, Isabella? Like, what's, what's your end game? What are you going for? You're being a jerk. Did you really want to be friends with Clara that badly? Did you just have, like, the emotional mindset of a child? I don't get anything you're a jerk Isabella Claire get your hands up you gotta you gotta rumble with this bitch. otherwise she will never recognize your authority I was told by the Alex Kurtzman Star Trek short uh, Children of Mars that it's perfectly okay for kids to go ham on each other so get it out start swinging So they sent an envoy, and their envoy is really stupid. Then the, the plasma aliens did. And they're like, okay, but we're going to send someone, but she's going to be like eight. And she's also going to be petty as fuck. And uh, she, she's going to threaten a child. So that whenever, whenever the child's ship dies, um, that child will also die. And like, that's just going to be a thing. Like... I am so in the weeds with Isabella right now, you guys. And it's practically named after her. It's named after the broad category of things that she is. I don't think this is another ghost episode, though. Like, I mean, I, I think it's a fair copy. I think if, you, if you're like, this is a ghost episode, I'm like, fair enough. I respect that. I, I, I'd be disinclined to consider this one a ghost episode. Yes, yeah, she's intangible and invisible and a jerk like i honestly feel like this is an imaginary friend episode and i feel like i feel like there's some reddit neckbeards who are like mm, well ghosts and religion and all imaginary friends but like at the same time i feel like it's like it's a totally different concept like i'd be pissed if we're watching power play and someone's like oh yeah that's an imaginary friend episode but they're clearly ghosts and in the episode where jordy and roe uh, sort of die, get phased like 
they're clearly ghosts. And when Beverly Crusher f***s a ghost, well, see, that's not a ghost because that wasn't a per. Well, it is a person. It's just the person is a gas. It's a gas person. Like, um, like Clara is. Like Isabella is. So it's like, he's a real dude who, boy, he is also kind of an imaginary friend. But like he, he he's a ghost guy in disguise. He's not he's not in the very very narrow. Oh my God, this is boring. The very narrow conceptual space of imaginary friend. I'm gonna stamp. I'm gonna call it officially not a ghost episode. Uh, I won't even tell you to fight me, nerds, because I think I think the nerds might win on that one. So, and Trill's like, oh, you have an imaginary. So we're picking back up here, and Guy is telling us again about the Turkey and Razor Beast, and it's like. I mean, that kind of illusion is great, but you know, bad things happen to kids anyway. But she talks about the idea of the character and of the imaginary friend and the people who, uh, you know, how we conceptualize and how we bounce ideas off of each other, ourselves. Um, and it's like, you know, like maybe it's not necessarily bad, but clearly uh, Clara Sutter Despite despite her imaginary friend being real, um, we don't know that. And so it's incredibly maladaptive. I was like, yeah, imagination is important, I guess. But I feel like that's not the argument that's being had here. The argument isn't Isabella is, is through going through mental distress. The issue is that we are reacting to her because we, we, don't, we don't take her seriously. She's undermined her own credibility because she's freaking eight. Um... And and so it's hard for us to take her seriously. But whenever she does start talking real talk, Troy is interested not only because of weird stuff happening on the ship and because she's a Starfleet officer, but also because she's as a counselor. She's like, whoa, this kid is just making up some real ass shit. What is up with that? Like you, And, and she, she's doing the best she can. She just doesn't know what circumstances she's operating under and I think I think once Clara goes um, I can see her now she's not imaginary anymore <laughs> uh, friends have gotten real Deanna um, I, I think I kind of wish Deanna had like changed her tone or like shifted into like some sort of you know how is she real what's happening what are the things that we can do? Like, kind of kind of played a line that isn't just, oh, I'm going to look under the bed for the monsters. It's, oh, well, oh, I forgot she actually looked under the bed for the monsters. Um, but it is like doing a thing that's applicable for both of our, our scenarios of like a real threat. Um, because she, she, she's a Starfleet officer, man. She has seen some stuff. And that threads the... And between you know, it just being like an imagination thing, which isn't a big deal. This kid has a bigger suite than some of the junior officers, by the way. That is nuts. I like the big hippo-looking character. It's, 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 I don't know, it looks futuristic enough. Uh, but then again, maybe all dolls look like that in the early 90s. Yeah, Troy, come on, the closet... I know you never went into your mom's closet because of all the sex toys, but still. You can't just ignore it. Isabel's like, it's about time. Bam. Laser gun. 
Clara, you gotta fight back against bullies. Trust me on this. So now Isabel is real, and uh, she's crazy, and she's loosing the ship, and we gotta figure out what's going on. <laughs> Crush is like, oh yeah, she's sleeping. We uh, we sedated the hell out of her. Would not stop screaming. I am a good parent. So because these guys siphon energy, that that's how she attacked Troy. They like siphoned all the energy out of her body. Well, then Troy would be dead. But sure, whatever. And, like, Troy fell back. Like, there was impact. Whatever. I feel like this episode... I mean, I gotta analyze everything I can out of this episode because it's so bloody and substantial. But, at the same time, I would rather just take a nap, you guys. Because, uh... <laughs> because, like, there's a 12-year-old girl with blonde hair, blue eyes, blue dress. And Wolf was like, oh, I've seen her. Yeah, that's all right. I'm uh, chief, chief of security. It's my job. I uh, totally saw her two days ago. Engineering. That's right. Mm, good at my job, Wolf. The guy's like, all right, did you arrest her? Is she in custody? It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm doing my best, Captain. Come on. I know what she looks like. Claire's like, so I took a power nap, but it turns out that Isabella wants to murder us all. It'd be great if they had, like, a board meeting. Uh, they go to the ready room. <laughs> They're like, everyone, this is our senior consultant for imaginary friends, Clara Sutter. It's like, oh, yeah, that's good. And her dad's and he's like, uh, Ensign, you don't, you don't need to be here. We need to speak with our imaginary friend specialist. Oh, thank you. This is only for senior officers. God. I can see Picard taking off switch. You will be my senior officer in charge of imaginary friends who are also psychos. Uh. So again, we get a lot of Picard in this episode. More than we need, strictly. But whatever. Oh, man. I swear to God, I got enough sleep last night. Alright, so now that they've driven off the road and over all the potholes, they're, they're halfway in the minefields, is what I'm saying here. So now they're in the poo. They're in the webs. And, uh... There's like, yeah, it's, it's in the nebula thing. Whatever, it's probably alive. It's glowing thing. Yay, glowing thing. Mm. So whatever it is, it's going to kill him, like, super quick. Like, try the old rematch, like, the shield frequencies. Like, ah, no, 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 didn't work. And they've apparently seen that one before. So, yeah, they've seen it twice before. Come on, man, work with us. So, our crew is now trapped in the mud and surrounded by guys who are feeding on their shields. They are in a bad spot. So, what else are we going to do but bring Counselor Troy... Oh, I'm sorry. Captain Picard to give... Oh, jeez. A pretty weak Captain Picard speech. That doesn't, I feel, sum up our episode. And Clara's like, uh, Clara, whatever. She's like, hey, Isabella, you got to parlay... Parlay, Isabella. We know we're basically completely at your mercy. So, like, pretty please? I don't know, man. A pirate's code. Pirate's code says you have to parlay with us. <laughs> oh, man, it's rough. Look, Clara, no pressure, but if you don't make your imaginary friend appear, 
we're all going to die. So, you know, just make it happen. So Picard drops out with the stunner, though, of, hey, you can only assume that you pop out whenever you're threatening a small child, which I gotta tell you, that's a blow right to the solar plexus, man. I think I jumped that line. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's got the right, like, I mean, again, he's not involved in this. He just got, like, a debrief on the way down from, like, Worf and Troy. And then Troy kind of f***ed off when she realized she wasn't going to be in the scene. And it's like, Troy could do this. There we go. Can you only communicate by threatening a small child? Deanna could have done that. And she's like, hey, why don't you, like, show yourself and talk to us? And then Troy could do all of this, but like, it's not Picard's idiom and he doesn't need to be here. And I will continue saying that for every kid episode, which is resolved by Picard giving a speech. So anyway, they were apparently here just to see if we were delicious and or friendly. And apparently we were not friendly enough, but we were delicious enough. So there we are. So we taste good. That's the deal. And Isabella gives us some, some stuff. And again, I don't know why she was trying to get into engineering, though. She apparently knows this shit about the Gravitons. And engineering wouldn't have helped to determine if we were friendly or not. So, yeah, so here's here's our conflict. Where Isabel's like, oh, you're so cruel and mean to Clara. It's like, what did they do to, to Clara that was so mean? Like, she can't let her go to places that are dangerous that she doesn't want to go. And it's like, there's things that she's not allowed to do. And like, we never see in this episode, I just don't feel like that conflict is played up enough. And Isabella only, the only reason Clara wants to go certain places is because Isabella wants her to. Isabella's just being a troll. She's like, oh, what if we go to the, the tiny child smashing machine? It's like, you can't go to the tiny child smashing machine. Ooh, I guess we're really not free if we can't go to the tiny child smashing machine. It's like, come on. And the girl's like, oh, that's not great revelation. You see this from my eyes for a child. Oh, f***ing this thing. Um, and it's like, if they kind of said like, well, Claire has a bedtime. We're like, I don't want to go to bed. I want to have fun. And it's like, if there was like organic conflict between Clara and the authority figures in her life, like that would work better. As it is, there's like a bunch of adults who are really helping Clara and enabling her to see this magic. I don't say enabling, but... We're going, oh, look, it's imaginary friend, man. Like, they're they're playing along with it. They're not even contradicting her. They're just trying to get her to be friends with real people and not imaginary friends. It's like, you think that you're, like, do you think there's a class of people who are imaginary and that you're one of them, but you're the only real imagined person? And Picard talks about the continuity of the species and passing down rules and organizations and it's just, like, the whitest shit. And... Like, none of these, like, we never see Clara trying to go anywhere dangerous, because engineering's just like a coffee table with a glowing tube in it. So it's like, if if there's, like, an industrial accident, and, like, they're like, hey, get out of here, Clara, and then five minutes later, there's, like, a coolant leak. You're like, oh, it's so dangerous. Oh, she really got out of here in time. You know, um, like, that would make some sense. But like that's not that's not what's happening here at all. It's just that ah, we gotta give Picard speech to an alien who's angry because of vaguely defined reasons. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
whatever. So now they're going to buzz off and give the aliens like a snack or something. And that's it. That's our episode. We're done. Who gives a shit? Uh, yeah, whatever. Energy beam into the nebula. Do we use the deflector dish? That thing's going to fall off if they keep using it for random shit. Uh, that's what's in the manual of the Enterprise. If you continue using the deflector dish for random shit, it will fall off. Oh, God. It's Isabella again. I, again, shocking how quickly this animate energy thing within the nebula uh, became sentient and adapted to human emotions and mores and feelings and data's there like this motherfucker but whatever goodbye isabella goodbye clara goodbye this episode next week derek and i are going to watch i borg so hang on for that i think it's going to be a fun one it's an important one and until then remember rand <laughs>